Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's brand new TV industry-focused podcast. Julia, should still say brand new? Yeah, it's not brand new. It's not brand new. Jesus. Who wrote this? Uh, I think Ben did. This is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined as always by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's show, we'll be chatting the end of On Becoming a God in Central Florida, the upcoming Mrs. Fletcher and Bojack Horseman, and the premiere of Watchmen. Now it's time for The Clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Uh, let's start with the finale of On Becoming a God in Central Florida. Libby, yes. question for you. Yes. Uh, with the season wrapped up, what would you say are the sort of the awards potential for the show? You know, I don't know that the show made as big of a splash as maybe we were hoping it was going to make upon debut. I remember being very hyped for this a couple months ago. I thought it was very unlike a lot of things I'd seen on television. I think it really captured a place and and a time so well. But at this point, um, because it went sort of unnoticed, I think the only hope that this show has is that HFPA sees it, remembers how much it loves Kirsten Dunst because Kiki has two prior nominations one in 1995 for Interview with a Vampire, and one for Actress in a Miniseries uh, for Fargo in 2016. So maybe she sneaks in there um, coasting just on her name, but I don't think so. I I mean, I think the big win for this series is getting a second season, which it did. So maybe people will get caught up. Maybe maybe they'll, they'll find its audience for the second season. But other than that, I think it's goodbye for a year or so to Unbecoming a God. Okay. I I think there's definitely a lot of heat around the show when it premiered that it was like, we haven't properly given Kirsten Dunst her due as as a as a society. It does feel like every few years we're we're very like, oh my God, remember Kirsten Dunst exists? Um because we absolutely did that with Fargo, which she was amazing in. Um and but then she got married to Jesse Plemons and they had a baby, so then she was gone again a little bit. And I don't know if she has to get back into film for people to really pay attention, but I'm re- I'm loving the the extended renaissance. I don't I I feel like she's just one of those actors who continues to do phenomenal work time and time again in very kind of smaller, more intimate, stranger movies, TV shows, whatever it is. Like even Fargo is something, especially her season, that's something that's pretty weird and oh, out there so and good. isn't for everybody. But it, yeah, exactly. No, it's fantastic and she's fantastic. On on becoming a god is also for a very small audience compared to other shows that are out there, but she's so good in it. Um, even her movies like Melancholia, one of her better performances, Bachelorette is one of my favorites ever. And each one of those is exactly what it should be, but it's not going to hit like a mass market thing. So there's this small little moment of fervor where we're like, remember all of these great performances and how amazing she is. And then because it just doesn't have like the buzz and the big broad 
recognition, it just kind of goes away. You know, she is so, she's so good. She's so interesting. She is really an indie movie star in a blockbuster actress package. Like, um, it really makes me sad that most people know her as Mary Jane yeah, from, yeah, from, Super, from the from that Spider-Man series. Ben, it's a big week for you. Uh, there's a show premiering this week that will create, uh, I think, your perfect evening of television. Uh, Mrs. Fletcher, uh, what can what can you tell us about that? Uh, I can tell you that it's a phenomenal show. I have seen all seven episodes of this limited series, or what I am contending is starting as a limited series, and will hopefully uh, eventually be renewed for at least 93 more episodes because it's that delightful and you just want to live in this world for so long. Um, but Mrs. Fletcher is wonderful. It's from Tom Parada based on his novel of the same name. Uh, it's his first time as showrunner. Um, he works alongside Helen Estabrook and a few other wonderful, talented people to bring this show to life. Um, but it's it's just it's just so good. I, I I'm... I feel like there's easy ways to sell it, which is like Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn should be a trigger for everybody to be like, oh, we need to watch this TV show. Oh, we need to watch this movie. We need to watch whatever she's doing because mm-hmm. she's just that talented. And That's she's also on one hell of a hot streak right now. Um, but I, I really feel like it's a it's a great ensemble piece. Um, Were you a big fan of the Transparent finale, Dan? <laughs> I was... A big fan of <laughs> Catherine Hahn. I mean, that's I fair. don't really think her song was great, but she did great. Didn't with she, it. though? Yes. Okay. She really did. I didn't um, have to do. I'm sorry. No, that was a great, great insertion. The hot streak. <laughs> the hot streak remains in my in my Intact. playbook. Um, but no, I I really do think I think it's a it's going to be a strange night of television on HBO that it's leading with Watchmen and then I think Silicon Valley and then I think Mrs. Fletcher or is it the other way around? Either way, you mix those three shows in whatever order they're decided to be there. If you were watching linearly and not streaming and you know choosing whichever one specifically you tuned in for, it would be very, like the, the tones would be all over the place. And tell the people a little bit about Mrs. Fletcher because the title says literally nothing about it. Well, let me tell you what the original title of the book was going to be before Mr. Prada's uh, very wise <laughs> publisher talked him out of it. Hit me. MILF. Oh. Oh, boy. So the the TV yeah. show Mrs. Fletcher and the book Mrs. Fletcher are about a mother and son who oh. uh, kind of depart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's a lot of information to get back to back, but please continue. They they go about their separate ways as he goes to college and she starts to deal with kind of uh, emptiness syndrome and each of them goes on kind of a, a as the tagline says, coming of age story. Um, basically, she gets kind of obsessed with pornography, but in a healthy way for the most part in that she's trying to kind of free herself from inhibitions that have built up around her life as a, as a mother and well, ex-wife at this point, uh, and he is kind of the broiest dumb bro you've ever met in your life who's, like, very popular in high school but gets thrown into college and doesn't think anything through. He just thinks that things are going to continue as they would normally, and instead he is in for a rude uh, enlightening, if you will, uh, from his fellow more woke classmates than he is. 
And you kind of see these parallel trajectories play out over the course of seven episodes, but there's there's a much broader ensemble at play than just these two people, and they're all very, very good. Um, That's cool. I, I love this show. It's, I, it's very hard for me to sell it in an elevator pitch. I am curious no. how Parada well, did it yeah. without, would have done it without the book, like if right. he hadn't had that to work off of. Um, but it's, it's really, like even going to the premiere and just sitting there for two episodes, which I'd already watched, I was instantly just back in it where I was like, I only want to watch this now. I don't want to watch. I'm good. Like, just keep me in this for the foreseeable future and I'll be fine. But uh, to your point, Watchmen, Silicon Valley, Mrs. Fletcher. Oh, boy. Quite the lineup. Very quite strange. The lineup. Naturally sort of flow into each other. Yeah. If you want to skip one, I'd skip Silicon. Oof. But there is another show premiering this weekend that you all is also near and dear to your heart. True. Season six of BoJack Horseman. The first half of the final season of BoJack Horseman is upon us. I think the screeners for season six, part one of BoJack came in on a day I was off or or a day I had a light load. So the first thing I did was sit down and watch the entire thing straight through. And basically no one else in the industry has done that yet. With no spoilers, I will say that BoJack has found a way to continue this incredibly high bar of comedy and ridiculousness and heartfelt um, discussions of difficult topics that that we don't want to talk about, like addiction and mental illness and what we owe each other as humans. And uh, to be honest, uh, assistant pay, but... Um, Topical. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's so... It's so moving and it's so frightening to know that this is, this show is coming to an end. And I'm not sure what's happening with Netflix because with the end of BoJack, they will no longer be in business with Raphael Bob Waksberg, I believe. And I think that's not the right move for them. BoJack is one of those shows that ran a fair length of time. Six seasons is about almost as long as any Netflix show runs, give or take in Orange is the New Black or a house of cards. And I don't know if I like this new move on their part to have everything be three, four seasons and out. That said, I am so grateful for this final season. I think that fans of the show will not be disappointed. And uh, I can't wait to see where it goes in the back half of the season. All right. So it's going to be a good weekend. You guys have yeah. a lot to watch I'm or excited for it's everyone. Great. And of course... I would be remiss not to say they can watch episode two of Watchmen. Oh, that ties in perfectly to our next topic. Oh, yay! So guys, this past Sunday, Watchmen premiered to much fanfare, at least within our circles. I think everyone at this table was a huge fan of the pilot. Yes. Uh, so just really quick, what were your general thoughts? And then we'll get into some of the sort of the news that came in after the episode aired. Uh, I, I'm continuously impressed by how well Damon Lindelof and company build worlds quickly. Um, I mean, obviously, the Lost Pilot is something that uh, is studied in schools at this point in terms of, of kicking off a story. Um, but I, I look back over the course of you know the trajectory of the leftovers, especially the season two and the season three premieres, and kind of um, surprising its audience, moving forward in time, shifting location, and then building from the ground up without it feeling like they have to stuff all of this plot into something so it's awkward like to get to the where they want to be it's like they are where they want to be and then they build up around it and the watchman premiere to me is just such a beautiful example of that because it is dense like there's so much to get through 
but it also feels effortlessly entertaining. Like just sit back and let it wash over you and then go back and rewatch it and try to pick up all the little things that were placed so that you can see where they're going or um, be prepared for what's next. I think the thing that, that struck me the most with the Watchmen pilot is for all of the talking to Damon Lindelof about his shows, both current and previous, he seems to have a lot of doubt in uh, his decision-making and what he's doing and, and, and if they made the right decisions in the story. And yet these pilots, to what you're saying, Ben, have such confidence in this is the story and most importantly, very overrated aspect, this is when the story begins. Like this is when our story begins. Some shows start too early, some start too late. So they're constantly playing catch up with like previously on the show that didn't exist. Or they're doing so many flashbacks that to like fill in the stuff that they wanted to hold back for a twist or a surprise so that it feels like it was, you know, substantiated from the beginning and it wasn't. And God help us an in media res beginning. <laughs> Yeah, I go full Brian Cox on in media res <laughs> episode beginnings. Like, God forbid you use voiceover. God forbid you use an in media res opening to your pilot. So help me God. Right, fair. Um, no, but there's such confidence in Watchmen. It starts where it begins, and it it's not where you expect it to begin. In I I think if I had a million guesses, I never would have guessed that uh, the pilot of Watchmen in 2019 would begin with the destruction of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. Um, I'm not sure anyone could have guessed that, but it sets the tone and sets the stage so beautifully. I just, it's difficult to talk about this show because I'm still in awe of it. I have such a crush on this show. And um, that's from someone who has no attachment to the source material. And you're also supposed to be, it's supposed to be difficult to talk about, both in the subject matter that it tackles and in the fact that it's not ready to just give you all of the answers you want up front it's not ready to explain itself for the sake of explaining itself just so that you feel more comfortable in each episode knowing oh that's exactly what that meant or that was exactly how i was supposed to feel that confidence kind of carries over to the discussion of it which makes you uh more intrigued to see where they're going with it and to your point about you know everything that 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 damon goes through when he's making these shows a lot of what he said leading up to this has been um we thought through every decision that we made, like every choice that we made for this alternate history and this new version of Watchmen, we debated it out and we made a choice and then we went with that choice. So like we may be wrong, but we absolutely thought right. about it. And then the other side of it is he just keeps saying to wait. It's like, don't judge it yet. Wait no, until you've seen the whole thing. And it's like, that's not really how TV works, but it will be fun to look back on it when we do have the whole picture. So. I think it's confident. I think it's I think it's very impressive to say that I have seen six of these nine episodes and I have no idea where we're going. I mean, I have that's some. That's been the fan mantra. Most people have been saying, what the fuck is happening here? But I love it. And yeah, that's great. Exactly. Exactly. And I, 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 it's a rare show that can sort of divorce you from trying to solve TV like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, to just enjoy the ride is is so undervalued and 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 i'm just so excited i I don't remember the last show i had such enthusiasm about give or take a flea bag season two Mm -hmm. and and a mrs fletcher but continue uh so you were talking a little bit about snap judgments ben a second ago so this news crossed our desks of the watchman ratings coming in and and being a little low for television (laughs) no in in 2019 this this is this is the problem with with any sort of rating discussion and 
It's that we don't know. It's that nobody really knows. A lot of people will, who have, who study this more closely than even we do, will speculate and say, you know, it's it's good or bad or skewing good or bad or it's disappointing or it's, a, or it's right in line with expectations, those kind of words. But it's very hard to tell if the numbers that were given to us are actually good, like good by what HBO is expecting and what HBO needs the show to be because of a multitude of factors. But I will say that the decision to release these numbers on a Monday, like the the day after it premieres, instead of the more accepted version of, of Live Plus 3, Live Plus 5, Live Plus 7, I question that idea because I think it just creates confusion around the show in general. Like there's so many people talking about it in our industry. There's so much buzz around it online. You don't need an extra rating story right now that kind of muddles the reaction and has people saying, oh, I don't know if it's a hit or if it's a disappointment or if it's just kind of okay. You need, like if you're going to release those numbers, especially the streaming numbers, which they did, it needs to be very declarative. Like we got X million people and that sounds great. 1.6 million people doesn't sound great. Right. And I, I think that was that was the most confounding piece of it is like they were still riding high on, say, Twitter because uh, people were so taken in by the, the Tulsa race riots that they they people were explaining it and there were pieces run and there was so much so much thoughtful discussion online. Um, they didn't need anything to keep that conversation going they didn't need to chime in they could have easily just sat and basked in it and then waited for the three-day numbers which would have been better um just by nature of the passage of time um so i i don't understand that choice either and i don't understand i don't want to say i don't understand ratings but i don't understand ratings as they pertain to this age of television um and i definitely don't understand ratings with things like hbo uh, to say nothing of Netflix, because I don't know what they want. Well, and, and that, that leads to a lot of comparisons, because a lot of us don't know what they want. So then instinctually, when you get the number, you're like, okay, well, how does that compare to the things that we feel have done well, or that we know that they're happy with, or that have been renewed in the past, or anything like that? And, you know, to, to, give, to give HBO a little credit here, there, was going to be ra- there were going to be rating stories on Monday no matter what. That there were going to be people who got Nielsen data and and put that out there and said this was the linear viewership because they have that. And if they were hoping to counter any sort of bad buzz from the linear by providing streaming to say this many people already started watching, then they did their job. There were still headlines that said, uh, you know, Watchmen doubled its audience uh, in streaming and, and is the best new drama since Westworld, I think. Um, but then there's also people who look at the numbers and are saying, well, if you compare it to Westworld season two, it's it's well below that. And if you compare it to Succession, it's 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 right in line, I thought, with with the season two finale, or it's a little bit above the season two finale. Yeah. And it's like, well, Watchmen, by all standards, was supposed to be bigger than Succession. It was supposed to be a wider reaching show than Succession. And by all accounts, it probably will be when it's all said and done, right. because it's you know, there's so much left to do. Um, but again, just seeing those comparisons and bringing them out this early, I don't think helps the show. So someone should pitch a live plus 90. They'd have, <laughs> they have like FX to their credit was one of the early people, early adopters to be like, we're not going to give you any numbers until we're going to give you live plus seven. We're going to be live plus 60. Like we're going to give you like a ton of late 
numbers to tell you like how many people are watching this. And then um, like Turner jumped on board and we get a lot of weird numbers about like uh, the detour before it got canceled and uh, Sam B and a couple other of their original programs in terms of like how many, what their viewership is over mm -hmm. all these platforms. Um, I mean, to your point earlier, pre-pod, you were saying that like there are people who are going to wait till everything is aired so they can binge all the episodes in one in one fell swoop. Right. And I do think you would have to give a ratings picture before then. I think that's going to come out before the season is up. Like you can wait a week or two and then launch those premiere numbers. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was too early. I, I, I feel like this show... And this is something that Libby brought up, so I'm going to let you talk about it because you're more knowledgeable and it was your idea. Um, but the idea that the critical discourse was so intense and heated doesn't always translate to ratings. But I do think that Watchmen is more than that. I don't think it's the Mad Men of 2019. I don't either, but I do think there are elements of the Mad Men of 2019 in Watchmen in that uh, when I opened my Twitter account, um, all anyone was talking about Sunday night was... Watchmen. Um, every single like different group, they were all watching. They were all live tweeting. They were all like, "What the fuck?" Um, and it was amazing. It was exciting, exciting for me as someone who loves the show um, to see all of that. So then to hear those ratings, I am reminded again that we live in a bubble, um, and our bubble can be industry, the Hollywood industry. It can be you know hardcore TV fans. It can be whatever we make it. Um, especially on social media, especially given our jobs. But it doesn't translate to what the everyday viewer does. Like what, what the everyday viewer watches, how they watch it. And it's something we have to guard against. Um, I don't know how to combat that idea that, you know, critics talking exclusively about Mad Men when the rest of the world is watching Big Bang Theory I don't know what to do about that. There's not a lot of critical conversation happening around The Walking Dead still, um, for good reason. But people are still watching that in droves. Like, exponentially more people watched The Walking Dead than watched Watchmen. Though the ratings do show who watches The Watchmen, which I think we were all <laughs> waiting for. Um, how, many, no. how many headlines had that? There must have been so many articles that had that somewhere. I think there. that was usually the lead, yeah. Most of the, <laughs> who most watches of the, the Watchmen? Here's who. 1.6 million. But I don't know. Like, I don't know how to combat that. For instance, um, I think it's difficult for us to walk that line as extreme television fans to try and still stay in our fandom, but also be professional about it and remember how other people enjoy television. Yeah, I think I think it's always important to remember how people, how how everyone watches television, and that is that everyone watches it differently. Because especially now, you can now more than ever, you can watch things at your own speed in whatever way is comfortable to you. And Leo brought this up, like the the idea that somebody would want to binge it to me is is a terrible idea. I want to dissuade not only because I want this to be a big hit and be successful, so that you know, if they want to make more, they can, or just, you know, so that the people involved in this, especially, you know, Regina King and Lindelof and everybody are as seen by as many eyes as they deserve to be seen by. Um, but I also just think it does not serve the story and it does not serve you as a TV viewer to binge this. I think there's too much happening. I think you cannot process this if you watched nine hours of it in even two days. That's too much. 
I mean, as a fan of the of the source material of the comic, I've watched it three times since I've watched the pilot. I have I have not gotten the screeners. I've watched the pilot itself three times just because there is so much there, uh, and it does re- it does reward repeat viewing. And you almost want to take that week. And there's a lot of shows that that exist in the same sort of arena where you want to take that week to think about what you just saw. And I'm I'm the biggest craziest most hated possibly advocate of that kind of weekly rollout and at the same time i still have to acknowledge that there are just a lot of people who don't want to do that they they may not want to binge it they may not want to watch nine episodes in two days or over a weekend or whatever they may just want to have control over it instead of letting the network have control over it and that's their prerogative um which again just goes back to the idea that talking about these ratings right now and talking about whether it's a success for a, or a failure right now, we don't know it. We're not going to know it about Watchmen for a, a, at least a month in, mm-hmm. at, you know, and we're not going to know it about the Apple shows or the Disney shows until um, they decide to give us numbers for those and those can be verified, which could be never, mm-hmm. or until they start um, winning awards, which again will change the narrative. If it's an award show, then that is instinctually or inherently valuable because it's going to drive extra eyeballs and extra prestige to the network itself. So there's so many different barometers for success here to start talking about Watchmen in those terms this early. And for, again, anybody to kind of invite that is troublesome to me. Yeah, Very strange. But 21 million people watch football. (laughs) I mean, that wasn't even a good game. It's a terrible game. You You think anyone's doing second screen viewing of Watchmen while football's on an iPad? 100%, 100%, yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they should. Again, it goes back to the you're going to miss something argument. But Well, see, I would like, and that's the thing is like if I were thinking that, like if someone wanted to keep tabs on their fantasy, I would be thinking you're watching Watchmen and you have football. Yeah, uh, football is the second screen. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, Either way, it's you're going to have a problem, but you're going to be the rewinding or something. But anyway. I mean, that entire interrogation scene is you could pick apart each of those images. The fact that the Twin Towers are up yeah. is like that's be. That's because there are superheroes. Right. 9-11 doesn't happen. Right. Uh, the castle that Dr. Manhattan is building on Mars looks eerily similar to the as-of-yet unnamed character, uh, his castle. Played by Jeremy Irons. Jeremy yes. Irons. His castle. And you can only verify that by going back and watching it a second. Because oh, on, yeah. on a first pass, you're like, kind of looks. Yeah. Second pass, you're like, you have to like take a screenshot and be like, oh, they're, I think they're the same. Well, also on the first pass, when you're looking at that, shot you're like i think that's dr manhattan and then you read the tv and the tv says manhattan spotted on mars it's a 24 7 feed it's a stream of what dr manhattan is doing on mars 24 7 just because like people probably like there's this thing well i mean uh, yeah i would that's legitimate i would watch that but you only get like for the viewer for people watching Watchmen, you only get a second of that so you have to kind of choose with your eyes like what you're going to focus on and then by the time that you're introduced to the yet unnamed jeremy irons character uh, which is ridiculous to say right now. Um, by the time that happens, it also comes so out of the blue that why you would go immediately back to Dr. Manhattan on Mars in right. that moment doesn't really make a lot of sense. But there are those kind of connections that wonderful people like like Leo here will pick up on if they're able to pay attention or if also, they want to pay attention. Oh, I have theories on this, but we can get into that after the pod. Theories? Oh my God, I can't This is wait. a whole other like, I know, I know, I know. thing that is related to the ratings, though, related to what Watchmen is. I do feel like if a lot of the discussion starts turning into something that is about how complex and how you have to pay attention and it's very dense and there's a lot of information, 
I think that turns people off, even if you're saying it's good. I think that that can turn off a certain group of viewers who really love the Big Bang Theory and just want to have something spoon-fed to them. Right. So then you have to also emphasize, which I've you know, tried to do, and we've done a good job of, I feel here, is that it's very exciting. Like, it's a it's a show you don't have to be overwhelmed it's by. It's so much fun. You can just go in and, and oh, I'm so, enjoy I, it. And I think I, I meant to say that stuff as someone who enjoyed the comic. There is so much in there if you choose to look for right, it. but you don't have to like okay yeah, so but like what you mentioned too had nothing really to do with the comic like the castle no in no, manhattan no, that's just part the of the show so it is it's just that idea so and again that's not you last week problems last just... week before watching the pilot i said that i thought what you guys are saying it felt like this was going to be a real gut punch for current <laughs> america but here's my new tagline it's blue bloods with a blue guy what do you think that's a great <laughs> elevator pitch technically we can't confirm that the blue guy is in the show, right? He's we don't know. The, I guess he was in that video well, clip. In the, yeah, yeah, there's a blue man. There's a blue yeah, man. Are, we, are we over promising though? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, it might be. It might be a video. It might be archive footage. <laughs> I'm just saying that from what I know from the comic and watching that scene, there is a blue man in the comic. So we can just say that. And there it, is a blue man in that scene. And there's a blue man in the scene. And Blue Bloods is a show that people love and they watch in droves. I when think. we talk about a lot, yeah, apparently. We, we, talk about blue, we talk about Blue Bloods a lot. And we how, do. Blue uh, Bloods comes up quite ever, a bit. How it Way more than weird. I ever expected. It's very weird. <laughs> how it averages how 8 million viewers a no, week. This is exactly. It, live. Live yeah. viewers. I don't know who's streaming, streaming Blue Bloods. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the whole other, this is the whole other ratings problem. Like, you're also comparing apples to wrenches, I believe we talked about <laughs> earlier in the, in the discussion, which, again, both Leo, Leo I can promises. Eat I can eat can, both of them. I can I eat believe, both of them. I can eat both I of them. I believe that was off mic, actually, so I'm yeah. so happy it's now in the podcast. Right. Uh, but no, like, like the idea of, of Blue Bloods getting 8 million live viewers and Watchmen getting 800,000, it's, they're completely different thing like right. blue bloods is accessible for free yeah to everyone in the world because right. it's on broadcast television so you have to at least have an hbo subscription to even have a chance of watching right. watchmen and then you have to choose to watch it when it airs even though a lot of what hbo emphasizes now is that you can watch it anytime and technically cbs does that too but you have to pay well, for that that's what's so. so coming back around that's what's so weird about their decision to release those numbers on monday if they're emphasizing the time shifted viewing it's weird to be like okay yeah time shifted viewing but here's who watched last night like either you care about that or you don't care about that and it, it's it gets confusing when you try and play it both ways we've, we've talked a lot uh time for some of our uh weekly business that we have to get done for starters <laughs> libby it's that time uh, Quibi has announced a lot of shows. Uh, our friend Joel Kim Booster is going to do a, uh, a Fire Island uh, mm -hmm. comedy show. I know that uh, Matt Rogers and Dave Mazzoni are going to do their New York uh, cabaret show game show. Also significantly, Quibi and Vox are making a show, and I believe you know someone at the Vox. Well, technically, it's uh, Quibi and Polygon, which is owned by Vox Media, mm. who owns Vox.com. And yes, I am um, intimately familiar with their television critic, mm. unfortunately. So, so, so all, these, all, to be all these people, toward. all these people that, that we know have shows on Quibi. Libby, do you have a show on Quibi yet? I do not. Thank you for asking. The show can go on. Ben, our regularly occurring uh, feature, it's been heavy, is Wakeboarding with Ann Dowd, where we talk about uh, leftovers adjacent content. Ephemera. Two straight weeks. We've talked about watching, talked about Mrs. Fletcher. I think we're, is there anything else you want to add? Well, we've got at least 
uh, eight more weeks okay. of, of guaranteed wakeboarding with Andowed content. Um, I will say that that it was very wonderful last night to be at the Mrs. Fletcher premiere, which is was held on a Monday in Hollywood when there was actually a lot of other events going on, including a very popular Apple show, which people might want to check out early. And to see the people who showed up for Tom Parada's new series was very exciting. Damon Lindelof came, uh, Tom Speezy Alley came, uh, Lee LeBiak came, um, Patrick Somerville came. There were a lot of Leftovers alumni who showed up for this premiere. This is such a weird segment. Fantastic. And Dowd would have been happy. She would have loved to be there. I'm well, sure. where was she? Well, she's busy. She's wakeboarding. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> Justin was at his plate. bar. <laughs> According to Instagram stories, Justin was with Kuma at his bar. I love that you checked. Oh, I, I mean, if I see Kuma in the Instagram story, I'm like, I'm looking at that. Well, yeah, 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 that's fair. Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris. Our publisher is James Israel. And our executive editor is Ann Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. If you like the show, tell your friends. They won't even have to try that hard to find us now because we're now on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Spotify, Google Play. We're not yet on Stitcher, but soon. And anywhere else you get your podcasts. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.